Would you open God's precious holy word to Galatians chapter 1? We begin our study in Galatians today, and as God would have it, the salutation of Paul to the Galatians gives to us a wonderful Resurrection Day message. And I call it benefits flowing from the resurrected Christ. I will reflect more as we get into the book of Galatians, God willing, on the importance in Christian history and the history of the church, the importance of the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, Galatia was a region of Rome and it uh, would be in southern Turkey, I guess, in a modern map. Um, Lystra, Derby, uh, Pisidian, Antioch, those were cities in that region. But an, but an error had crept in to the church, a serious error. As a matter of fact, it was, uh, it was an error that uh, is addressed by other writers of the New Testament besides Paul. And I'll talk more about that error, but first let me again uh, go back to the importance of this book. Merrill Tinney has written books for Zondervan. He's, he's a, a New Testament and Greek professor from years gone by, and he's, he's been gone for quite some time. But he wrote an amazing statement with regard to Galatians. He said, if not for the book of Galatians, the Western world would most likely still be in paganism and Christianity no more than a Jewish sect. Let me tell you why I said that. The book of Galatians, and you'll see this in many commentaries when you begin to study, they call, many scholars call the book of Galatians the Magna Carta of uh, the Christian faith. Now here's why. It was in 1517 when Martin Luther, a Catholic monk, began to study and teach the book of Galatians. And as he studied the book of Galatians, the Holy Spirit of God gripped his heart and he came to a saving knowledge of Christ. He was converted from Romanism to Christianity because of his study of the book of Galatians. Then he nailed up his theses and the Christian Reformation started. For a thousand years, the church had been in the, the darkness and the bondage of Romanism. And then Martin Luther studied Galatians. And it was because of that book, this book that we're beginning, that he understood that Christians are free. We are justified by grace plus nothing. You can't add works to it. There's nothing anyone can do to the finished work of Christ. So it's salvation by grace through faith, nothing else. You can't add to the grace of God, the salvation that God gives to his people. So it's a tremendous study, especially when you reflect on the, the, the profound impact that 
under the Holy Spirit, the study and teaching of the book of Galatians had on Martin Luther. And because of that, the entire Protestant movement, the Protestant movement in the Reformation began because Martin Luther studied for his own. Away from anybody else, he studied for his own the book of Galatians and taught it. And the world was changed because of it. This, this book is written very early. Uh, it, it, it predates Paul's letter to Rome by several years. But the letter to the Romans is the immediate follow-up when people exploded in the time of, of uh, protesting the Roman church and coming into the Protestant movement, it was a follow-up of the study of Romans uh, that was first led in a study of the, of the book of Galatians and then Romans that really laid the foundation of Protestantism. So you and I are going to study these truths and it's, it's the basis of the book of Galatians is freedom from bondage, freedom in Christ. We're, we're, we're enslaved to sin. We're in bondage to sin. And for a thousand years, the so-called church sought to enslave those who were in the church. But we have been set free from this. Now, in the salutation, in the first five verses of the book of Galatians, I want us to note benefits that are flowing from the resurrected Christ. The resurrection of Christ still has its impact. It still has its power as it flows into and through the church today. So I want us to consider these benefits from the resurrected Christ. First of all, inspired messengers. Let's look at this. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, the one, and here it is, having raised him out from the dead and all the brothers with me. Okay. Inspired messengers in the Christian era, in the time of the church, are a gift of the resurrected Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, the so-called ascension gifts to the church are mentioned. And it goes like this. And he gave some, parentheses, to the church. And he gave some as apostles. Well, the apostles initiated all of this. They're all dead. An apostle, one of the qualifications was to have, was to have personally seen, visibly seen the resurrected Christ. Paul is an apostle because he had such an experience. The first gift of the ascended Christ, the resurrected Lord to the church, were the apostles. Some wonderful day when we are in the New Jerusalem, we will see that the 12 foundation stones of the New Jerusalem are named after those 12 apostles. So Ephesians 4 goes on, uh, 4 goes on and says, and then prophets. There were New Testament prophets in the time before the canon of Scripture was completed. The church would face, with, with its inclusion of Gentiles, 
would face circumstances and all they had was the Old Testament and that was not, if you study the Bible strictly, it was not applicable uh, to many of the things the church was facing. And so God, the Lord gave prophets. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, when the completed thing has come, the partial thing is done away. It's not needed anymore. And one of those partial things was, was to prophesy uh, to the church with regard to a special need. And you'll see New Testament prophets in the book of Acts. But once the New Testament is completed with the, with the, in the canon of Scripture with the book of the Revelation, Christ says, Christ Himself says, this closes it. You can't add to this book. This is the end of it. And so today we are blessed to have the completed, uh, the completed uh, canon of Scripture and we have the New Testament Scriptures on top of the Old Testament Scriptures. They didn't have that in the early church. And so an another gift after the apostles were the prophets and then evangelists. Those who would go from place to place and preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And then pastors and teachers. So these were the gifts that the resurrected, ascended Lord gave to the church. Paul was an apostle. Now here's the deal in Galatia. Judaizers sent out for some reason from Jerusalem were following Paul everywhere he went. Paul preached the true gospel. Grace by faith plus nothing. The grace of God. The Judaizers were trying to make Christianity a Jewish sect. And so they came in behind the Apostle Paul and they called his credentials into question. And they said, he's not really an apostle. Um, of course, you and I know that he was because of his experiences. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they came and said, no, no, no. You have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. Which meant that Gentile men had to submit to the rite of circumcision. Now, Acts chapter 15, that was settled in the council, in the, in the church council in Acts chapter 15, but for some it didn't matter. Uh, they just couldn't get away from the truth that you don't have to, you don't have to be under the burden of the law to be saved. You're, you're delivered. Christ took care of that for us. So then Paul, on the road to Damascus, was saved. He was converted and told what to do. And uh, then you know the story, the scales fell from his eye. He, he lost his blindness then and he went and spent three years in what is called the seminary of the Holy Ghost. He went and spent three years in Arabia and was there taught by the Holy Spirit of God. During the time that he ministered, first of all, Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Then he came to him again when he was in a, or he had a vision when he was in a jail cell and Christ reminded him, he said, look, you're a different kind of apostle. I am calling and appointing you as the apostle to the Gentiles. Thus, the three missionary journeys and the establishment of churches in the Roman Empire, which not only included Jews, but also included uh, Gentiles. This was Paul's calling. All the way through, he first went to the Jew, 
And then when they rejected, for the most part, the gospel message, he turned to the Gentiles. There was, there was always great success. And churches had been planted here with specific regard to what we're looking at in Galatia. Error had crept in. We'll talk about that as we go in, in later messages, God willing. But here's what he says. He says, look, my calling did not come from men. It didn't, come from a, it didn't come through man or mankind. It came to, through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, appeared to the Apostle Paul. And then later, not just the appearance on the road to Damascus, but later in a vision as, as well. So through Jesus Christ and God the Father, the one having raised him out from the dead. Now here is the great foundation of the Christian church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has defeated death. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in history that compares to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the power of the resurrected Christ flowing out from God the Father through Christ himself into the life of the inspired messenger, but not just Paul, others as well. This was, I mentioned the ascension gifts, the resurrection ascension gifts of Christ to the church. And these are from God. Then he says, and all the brothers with me. Now you have to understand that he's going to be facing the problem in the Galatian churches in, in Galatia, the problem where these Judaizers had come in and had convinced some of the people that they needed to fall back into Judaism before they could move forward in, 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 in the church. Well, Paul is just, and, and this is, you know, this plagues the church even today. There are denominations within the Christian church who will tell you that you're saved by grace, but you're going to have to do something else before God accepts you into His presence. In other words, you can't be justified just by grace, but you're going to have to add some works and then these whatever denominations add their particular flavor of whatever works they think you need to add to justification by grace through faith. That's, that, that has dogged and plagued the church, the false teaching that you have to add physical works, human behavior. You have to add something yourself to what Christ did on the cross. It still plagues the church. And it started very early in the church. Uh, this this uh, denial of the sovereign grace of God. But here's what Paul underscores here. He says... I'm not, I'm not the only one who's coming to you correcting your error. There are a lot of brethren who are with me and they are shocked that you would collapse back into law thinking you would have to add the rituals and elements of the law to the grace of God. So he says, I'm not alone. Here's the point. One of the benefits of the resurrected Christ is that Christ sends His inspired messengers. What makes up an inspired messenger? 
a man who understands according to the Word of God, which can only come through the resurrected Christ by the power of God the Father, he understands the great gospel of Jesus Christ, which is you are saved by grace through faith plus nothing, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Number one, inspired messengers. You know, it started out in Isaiah, I think, 52, but it's quoted again in Romans 10, uh, where Paul begins a section writing to the Romans. And he says, how are these people going to believe in one they don't know? How are they going to believe? How are they going to hear about him unless someone is sent for the gospel message? And then he quotes a portion of Isaiah, that verse in Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who bring good tidings and, and the blessings of good tidings from God and peace from God. How beautiful are the feet of those. I, you know, I mean, I'm ready for it to be over and I, I'm probably going to join that growing number of people who are going to say, I'm ready to exercise my freedoms now. Okay, you know, uh, maybe I have the freedom and the right to get sick if I want to get sick. I don't want to get on a bandwagon about it, but um, I've recounted the bricks in our fireplace and they didn't change. I did a good job the first time. I'm thinking about cutting my grass with scissors. I don't know, you just, you know, you think, what am I going to do? What, what am I going to do? So the, the, the point is there's, a, there's, there's great freedom in Christ and there's a beautiful message, and I have heard that beautiful message from so many. Now, I won't listen to a lot of preachers. I've lived long enough, been around the block a few times, and I can tell the first two minutes when a guy's standing, I'm, I'm thinking, nah, I'm not going to listen to that. And I'll just keep going around on YouTube, and there have been some great ones. I mean some people, preachers who have blessed me in this thing. Yeah, so you, I, had to, I don't get to listen to preaching that much. Um, I won't even listen to myself once this thing is, ugh, is recorded. But I've heard and I've thought, you know, these guys, I heard, for example, I heard John McCarthy said, you know, he was giving a pre-Easter message and he was talking about how, I want to get this right. I think he said, the message he was preaching just then, he had been reported that it had, it had already been opened up to 400,000 people in the world. Now, MacArthur's one of them I like. I like him. And there are, a lot, there are several others. I've, I've listened to them. I've even listened to some of the 50s and 60s Crusades messages of Billy Graham. I like him. So my point is this. What a rich blessing the preaching of the gospel is to people all over the world. All over the world. We've had these weeks to sit, ponder, think, to think of the time that we live in and the age and the requirements of the age and, and the fear that some are trying to impose upon us. 
And we've had, I hope that, I hope that unsaved people have, have reflected on this question. What if I caught this thing and my life was required of me within five or six days? What then? I hope people, this is a great time where God can use our own, the reality of our own mortality to look us square in the face and ask the question, are you ready to die? It's been a great time of reflection. And the beautiful things that I've heard and watched over, over these weeks, especially on, on YouTube, the people that I've happened upon and some of them that I intended to listen to, the blessing, the beautiful message that comes from the Word of God. And then there are people on Facebook who would, who would be like Facebook preachers. They would share they would share something that would just be a picture and in the picture a beautiful scripture that could apply to the very moment that we were living in. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing. How does this happen? It happens because it's a benefit of the resurrected Christ who sees to it that in every generation he is sending forth inspired message, messengers. But that's not all. The next benefit is... He gives divine direction for his message. Look at the next phrase. To the churches of Galatia. Paul himself could not have known as the Holy Spirit of God inspired him in writing this book. Well, the Holy Spirit wrote it. Paul just provided the fingers for writing it out on the parchment. He could not have known the blessing that would come especially to the Western world 1,500 years later from the power of the message of this book, his letter to the Galatians. So it goes first, it goes to these churches in Galatia who are suffering from the same false teaching that the church suffered under for a thousand years. It's because, it's because of the divinely directed message. You know, in Acts chapter 1, Christ said, I want you first to go to Jerusalem. And then I want you to go on out into all of Judea. And then into Samaria. And then into all of the world and preach the gospel. It was the Great Commission, but He directed the work. He told them where to start. How to, how to progress, how to proceed, and finally advance it into all the world. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul went to sleep one night thinking that they were going to go east on their missionary journey. And he had a vision that night of the man from Macedonia who cried, come over and help us. He immediately got everybody up out of bed and he said, we're headed to Macedonia. God has called us to preach the gospel there. And thus the whole Western world was opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, and, and think, and think of how it was God's will to go that way and then from there into all of the world. And it's all over the world. It's all, the gospel of Jesus Christ is everywhere. We were told it, it's a powerful thing. Why? How can it reach even the places where the government prohibits it because the message is divinely directed by the resurrected Christ. 
That brings me to the next point. The next benefit of the resurrected Christ is that we have sovereign grace and peace extended to us. Look at this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is the whole crux of the message of Paul. Grace is the source. It is the gift. This grace, I can't give it to myself. This is a God thing. Grace is a God thing. The, flow, the outflowing of the grace that comes to me from God is peace. So, grace comes from God, the source of blessings, and then peace comes into my life, which is the enjoyment of those blessings. Grace leads us to peace. It is a benefit given to us from the resurrected Christ. The power of the resurrected Christ. Therefore, we don't fear death. We're at peace. We don't fear the world because we know the world someday will come under the subjection of the King of Kings in His kingdom. Very soon, I think. So we don't fear the world because our king is a resurrected king who has defeated death and is guaranteed the same gift for me. We don't fear the enemy. His head has been crushed by the heel of the Savior. We don't fear his demons. We don't fear this present age. We don't fear this world at all. And I'll tell you, we live, we live in a spirit of delusion, and I would tell everybody to stay in the Word because you go, I think when, this, when the world emerges from the cave that it's in now, I think we're going to have a stronger church with a greater message. I'm hoping and praying. Now, the church may be leaner and meaner. I don't know. But then you're going to have a raging world because they've tasted blood in sensing how the world can overpower people and make them do whatever they want them to do. So there's going to be an even stronger delusion from the enemy. We can't fear that. We read the Word and that's our sword. And we have this great benefit from the resurrected Christ, the benefit of sovereign grace and peace. The great message of salvation extended everywhere. Next, the next benefit is that our resurrected Lord rescues us from the evil age. This sort of builds on the previous point. The one having given himself for our sins so that he might deliver us that's an interesting word. Exelita. In the Septuagint, hang with me here. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It is the Greek translation that titles the second of the five books of Moses, Exodus. It, it, it comes from the root of this word, to deliver, to rescue. 
to bring you out. Exodus. So that He might bring us out. Deliver us. Rescue us. Out of the present evil age. Spiritually speaking, the last man standing, if I could use that analogy and not offend all the other genders that exist, but to, or don't exist, but think they exist. Though I'll put it this way. The last one standing in the evil age to stand for truth, for the way and word of God, for the wonderful message that we will continue to preach. The last one standing in a metaphorical sense will be the true church of the Lord Christ. The real true church. Otherwise, we are surrounded in the world by the present evil age. I don't think you should trust anything. That, that's, that's me. I'll listen to it. I'll consider it. But I want to check the scriptures on it. And if a red flag goes up in my spirit, I'm just going to say this is some sort of attempt of delusion in my life. And even the one who is telling me this probably doesn't realize it. But the resurrected Christ gave himself for our sins. All right, he has, he has delivered me from my sins. Past, present, future. I am his. I am his forever. He died to save us. He lives to keep us. He is resurrected. He has ascended. He is the high priest. He is the king priest. He's coming again. And presently, Having saved me from sins, from my sins, and delivered me, He rescues me out of this present evil age. It cannot, it cannot bring me down to its depths. Its darkness cannot overshadow the light in which I live because He gave Himself for our sins. Now, what was, what was the reason for his giving and for our deliverance? Why can I say that Christ died for me and has delivered me and I am rescued out of the evil age? Why? Because it is the will of God. If Paul asks in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, nobody, of course. I'm rescued from the evil age. God has sent inspired messengers, the resurrected Christ, who has given divine direction, gave us the gift of salvation. Thus we enjoy peace rescued us from the evil age because it's His will to do so. It pleases Him to do it according to the will 
of our God and Father. Thelema will pleasure according to the pleasure because it pleases God to do this for us. To what end? Now Paul's message, you've got to keep the message of Galatians in mind. It is freedom in Christ. Justification by grace through faith plus nothing. You can't add works to it. Then why? Well, here it is. Because it glorifies God eternally. Let's look at it. To whom be the glory to the ages of the ages. Amen. Uh, in, in my life, I have sung Southern gospel music, traveled with a quartet and all this kind of stuff. And too many people get their doctrine from Southern gospel music. Most of it's wrong. Sorry, just the way it is. And I had the, the one who wrote, who wrote this who wrote this song. I've had him in my home. He was a friend of mine. But the song is awful. It's wrong. It made news in heaven when I got saved. It's like, it's like, ooh, look. Ooh, look who's walking through the gates. What's, oh, what's his name? Man, wasn't he a catch? It ain't like that at all. Nobody gets any glory but God for every soul who is saved. There's no, I can't brag on anything that I did. Nobody in heaven can brag on anything that he did or she did. It is all to the glory of God. Now, if you require circumcision, if you require baptism, if you require observing the Lord's Supper, if you require some sort of behavior or physical action on behalf of the worshiper and add that to grace so that a person can be saved according to that... God doesn't get any glory there, does He? You have to give me a little of the glory. You have to give the guy who baptized me a little of the glory. You have to give my Sunday school teacher, and you have to give my you, you have to give my preacher. And no, you give God the glory. I just thought of another Southern gospel song, but I'll hush. Only God receives the glory. To whom? To Him, to God, be the glory. To the ages of the ages. Amen. The benefits extended to us from the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. We're going to close this service with um, the Lord's Supper.